Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. is Will Holden and today I am joined by Andy Melvin. How are you doing buddy? Not too bad thanks. Good good and Mark Wall how is it hanging? It's it's hanging mighty fine thank you. Yeah, I don't know why I approached like that. <laughs> <laughs> Regretted it as I started but I followed through nonetheless. It was a weird answer as well I think. <laughs> weird question I don't blame you for that buddy. Uh, but there we are off to a flying start. Uh, today, as always, we are here to talk about a film, an album, and a top five list. Uh, this week, Andy, they are your choices. The film we're looking at is A Promising Young Woman, 2020. It is written and directed by Emerald Fennell. It stars Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, Alison Brie, and others. A young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path as of last night, became an Oscar winner for the Best Original Screenplay, it, and a nominee yeah. for uh, Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Film Editing as well. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? Why did you pick the film, buddy? So I had another film that I was going to pick, and I watched this the day before I made my choices. I don't want to go into it too much because that's the podcast discussion, isn't it? But... You know, when you watch something and you just think, like, I need somebody else to have watched this so I can talk to them about it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I just had that feeling straight away. Like, the the film stayed on my mind for the next few days. So, yeah, I just instantly switched it in so that I could talk about it with you guys. Uh, so it is about Cassie, Cassandra, on a anger-fueled vengeance mission against sort of sleazy, nice guy men. She has one target in particular. But when we first kind of catch up with her at the start of the film, she is fairly uh, indiscriminately picking up. And uh, I mean, it's not always clear what she does with them. I think there's potentially some room for interpretation there but she certainly provides them with a learnable moment yeah i mean she essentially like goes to nightclubs and pretends to be like blackout drunk until a guy approaches her 
like you say, usually with that like nice guy mentality that they're going to, you know, make sure she gets home safe. Or there's another example where she meets a guy at his flat and he's like taking coke and... But the the ending is always the same, that essentially they try and take advantage of her because of the state that she's in, um, at which point she can flip the switch where, you know, she's stone-cold sober and can turn it back on them and kind of show them what they're, what they're doing. And like you say, it kind of, for a little bit, and I think you're sort of intentionally supposed to think this, and I still think it's a possibility, I thought that she was actually in some way perhaps like, killing those people or at least inflicting some kind of harm it's not actually my takeaway i think what you see is her like scaring the shit out of them and i think that is probably the correct reading for me anyway i agree i think there is some ambiguity but i think there are some moments later on in the film where certain schemes that she's put in place are revealed to kind of be hoaxes and i think i i believe that that was the case so I think she seems much more dangerous and extreme than I think she kind of ends up being in some circumstances. I mean, the end has a fairly extreme twist <laughs> that I did not see coming. But yeah, in the in the moments where she is attacking somebody who she feels is kind of uh, guilty of either perpetrating rape, essentially, against uh, people, women who are too drunk to to say no, or the people who have protected uh, those perpetrators. Like the schemes she comes up with are sometimes like absolutely brutal. And although through conversation it suggested that they're not as bad as they appeared, like they had me grinding my teeth while I was watching them. Well, I think she's I think she's shown to be like very intelligent, like they're like you say, like the kind of the in the end, they are empty threats a lot of the time but um but like you say the threat themselves is quite dark like they're quite heavy what what were your thoughts mark i thought as a piece of entertainment it worked reasonably well as a message movie i had some definite questions slash problems with it it's really interesting that it's just won the screenplay award for the Oscar because I think my primary issues lie with the screenplay I don't have any problem whatsoever with all the male characters being inherently despicable that doesn't bother me like but it's very black and white and the one character who isn't for the majority of the film which is the Bo Burnham character like the one who becomes the boyfriend that was the most enjoyable thread in the movie for me and then they turn that on its head as well. And he is also despicable. So it kind of alleviates any kind of arc for her character at all. She's pretty much the same at the end as at the start. And it's not even just like, I, I think all that would still be fine if it's just, yeah, all men suck. I could get behind that. I think it's a bit, again, black and white, but fine. But also pretty much all the women in the film also are fairly despicable as well. So you're just basically faced with a film where everyone is despicable, everyone is bad, and 
we'll get to the, the the other thing I have a problem with later, but I just think inherently that's a that's a bit tough to take. I slightly disagree with that as a premise. So if you take like Alison Breed's character and Bo Burnham's character just in isolation, because mm-hmm. they're both in the end kind of presented with the same thing that they were kind of complicit. Yeah, complicit in the actual in the actual like tragedy for her mm-hmm. friend, which kind of leads to the film. The difference is is that Alison Bree's character shows remorse for it in the end. Like she kind of sobers up and and she doesn't really want any part of it, but she comes forward with a videotape, um, which obviously leads to the the ending of the film, the last half an hour of the film. Whereas Bo Burnham's character is presented with the evidence, and he gives exactly the same response as every other man in the in the in the film. And I don't think that all the women are, are despicable either. Like I think, like there's her, not that many other women in it. No, but I think like her boss is the same. Uh, uh, sorry, her boss is very like loving and positive and and mm. quite forgiving as well. Like she understands that like, she seems to understand that she has issues in her life and is quite supportive, despite the fact that she clearly isn't a fake waitress or cares. <laughs> and like, yeah, sure, but. And also, I think, like, you talk about the film having a message. I think the film wouldn't work without that. The Bo Burnham market is a, is a rom-com. It's like a rom-com angle for it. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think it helps the film's message at all to have loads of shades of grey. Well, no, it's, it's not that, but that is the thing, though, isn't it? The, the message is quite simply... All men suck, basically. All of these people are guilty. And even this guy who seems like a well-nice guy and is kind of treated throughout up until that kind of reveal as a really nice guy. And then it's even the nice guys are pricks. Like, the arc that I would have liked to have seen is her learning that, okay, yeah, there's been this horrendous thing and there's a lot of absolute arseholes, but not everyone necessarily has to be an arsehole. I just I don't um, I don't feel like that does anything for the message of the film. Like because I don't think what what is the message of the film then? Well, I think the message of the film is trying to talk about the like the Me Too movement, like the idea that like, okay, but there's my there is my other problem. So if that's the case, then the message being sent out to any girls who are potentially in that position is you will be ignored. And basically the only way the truth will come out, I mean, she basically dies in order to, uh, to get vengeance or get the message out there. Yeah. That doesn't feel like a very positive kind of message to. The the film definitely doesn't have a positive message. I don't think it's trying to spin a positive message. I think it's trying to, that, like, I think that that's kind of an accurate portrayal. Like the amount of rape cases in particular are just by their very nature, almost always like one person's word against another. Like very mm-hmm. few of them come behind the courts. And I think that the response from the like headmistress at the school um, and the lawyer where the 
the accused is the one that's giving protection because this allegation could potentially ruin his life is also a pretty accurate like depiction of what happens in the real world. Like it's bleak. It's a bleak message. I don't think it's trying to be positive. I think it's, I think it's trying to make people think about things that are, yeah, but the, are there's nothing in to... the real world. Sure, but there, there's, as you say, because there is no grey and there's no even slight hint of light at the end of a tunnel of positivity within these people's lives. It's, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really struggle with that. Is just, you know, again, you will be ignored. If 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 a crime is, you know, committed against you, almost don't even bother to uh, to flag it up to try and get listened to because there's I, no point. The only I, way that you will get listened to is basically if you die. And uh, you know, it's. I I really think that's the like wrong takeaway. Like I, I it's just my opinion, but I I really think that the takeaway is that like this that is a like ridiculous unjust thing in society that that shouldn't be the case that you know it's incredibly difficult because obviously there is a like there's a burden of proof and there is an innocent until proven guilty but i think like you can't just protect people who have been accused of crimes just because they might get hurt like if the accusations prove to be false, like everything has to be investigated fully. I, I think that's the kind of, <clears throat> sorry, that's the kind of like takeaway message is that it's like, I think, although this is a like a, a massively like heightened version of the real world. So like, of course, if a drunk girl was in a bar in the real world, she's not going to be taken advantage of 100% of the time. But in this movie as well, they are. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, obviously, it's a heightened version of the real world. Like, I'm not suggesting that that happens 100% of the time, but it does happen. Like, I think it, it just struck a, like, chord of truth with me. And I think, like, it's it's getting people to think about the realities of the real world, which is pretty bleak. Like, the takeaway isn't, like, that women shouldn't do anything if they're abused because they can't get any sort of support. The message should be that we need to change this because that shouldn't be the truth in the real world. Well, if that's the case, I think they should have delivered that in a different way because that's that's not what I got from it. I just thought it was bad, badly written in that sense. But anyway, sorry, we kind of left Will out here. Well, that's right, I was then? listening and contemplating. Um, I, I I think I kind of agree with Andy. I think it is it is made to be an extreme in order to push specific points about how women are treated sort of systematically when these things happen. As you say, the burden of proof is it, often quite a difficult thing to prove because it tends to come down to one person against another. But I think traditionally and statistically, I think rape charges of that nature are very rarely actually brought to to any like positive conclusion. I I think it's quite interesting if I looked at it just as like a revenge film, just take out the kind of social aspect of it uh, and 
how poignant it is just now. Compare it to something like John Wick, where I don't think you ever question like his sort of motivation or the people he kills on his way, whether or not they're like even remotely half decent people. And I think this perhaps could be a kind of a flip form of that where almost everybody she encounters is a kind of enemy that needs to be, I don't know, dispatched, but done in a way that is more socially driven than it is kind of action driven. I don't know. I, I wonder if it would be a discussion point if it wasn't a woman taking revenge on on men. Like would would yeah, even... my my issue does not lie with her taking revenge at all. It's entirely just like there is no one who could watch that movie and question that you know sexual crime is absolutely unforgivably disgusting. Like of course. Like, I mean, you know, anyone who needed reminding of that is somewhat behind the curve anyway. So, like, that, that is fine. Yeah, that, you know, that aspect, of course. The aspect I had a problem with is, okay, I get that, but does everyone have to be unerringly bleak and, and negative and bad, basically? I, I kind of think well, they they have to. I think like that's an important point of the film that the male response throughout it tended to be, "I'm a nice guy." Like it's repeated loads of times. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like that's kind of part of the message at its core. Like they're not maybe that the most dangerous ones are the the ones that feel that they are good people not even and that yet. well yeah maybe that yeah that people feel that they're good people that they do the rest of their lives as a relatively good guy but maybe don't appreciate the level that somebody's life can be destroyed by an event like that like you know i'm a nice guy i don't consider this rape i don't like this is a this is a woman who's had a bit too much to drink and we're fooling around or whatever. Like, whereas actually, like, it is rape. Like, it's somebody who's not able to, like, fight off any kind of advances. Or yeah, I, I think, I think, I, it, I honestly think the film has to be completely black and white because it just doesn't feel like it would get his message across otherwise. I, I still am not sure of what the message is, though, other than... As you say, it needs more of a light shining on it in terms of maybe the reactions to people in those situations. But I, I think in this way that it goes about it, I think it avoids like hammering the message home. I think by putting it in the guise of, as you say, like a good piece of entertainment, ultimately, like I enjoyed watching it. I think it then gets the message across quite palatably without... I don't know, kind of beating you over the beating you over the head with it. One thing that you said earlier, Mark, about like Carrie Mulligan's character not really having a like an arc. I yeah. think again, I think that's like entirely intentional because they, like you say, like they kind of hinted at there being a character arc as well. Mm-hmm. I thought it was quite an interesting bit where, like, her dad said to her after they meet both. It's her, nice to have you back. Yeah, it's nice Sorry. to have you back. And yeah. um, and also when she went and spoke with like Nina's mum, 
and things like that who told her like you need to move on with your life mm -hmm. and but at the end of the day she was just incapable of doing that like she just couldn't well, she she was incapable because the guy who kind of caused that arc also turns out to be complicit yeah and but bad. i think i think it could when... have been any anything that maybe set her off again like i think the the point was is that like this uh, events like that can like just devastate people's lives yeah, like of, it, of, of course but do you not think it offers a little bit more hope to anyone in that situation where look yeah it's it's horrendous but you can still find a path some way out of it so you're never going to get over it it's never going to be forgotten but actually your life doesn't have to be over in this case her life is literally over yeah and the one core sort of positivity that she has is taken away from her and it just basically doubles down on the fact that like oh yeah this whole time you were right basically everyone sucks so i just i just don't think that's the message of the film like that's fine if you want that to be the message that's like you know it's a message specifically for like people who have suffered sexual abuse like a hopeful message that things can get better like no that isn't the message of the film I think that, like I say, I think that... Again, okay, what is then? So things can't get better. No, I, I don't know why but, you're looking like the message has to be aimed at the victims. I think it's the message of the film is to try and prevent future victims. Like the message of the film is that society in general doesn't treat like sexual abuse remotely as seriously as it should and that like women are threatened every day. And that, like, as as a complete society, we need to do more, not just the justice system, not just people in power. Like, everybody needs to do more to, like, change that. Like, that's the message of the film. It's incredibly bleak film with a pretty bleak message about, like, today's society. Well, why bother having any of those side arcs then? Narratively, why why bother? If that's not part of, you know, what what is the point of the Bo Burnham character? I mean, there still needs to be a plot to a film. It's, <laughs> like, it's not just a 10-minute infomercial. <laughs> but I think that plot, is... What's the point? I mean, the point is that it, it's the narrative of the film. Right? I think he is there to dangle the potential for, as you say, like a, a, a kind of neatly capsulated arc. And I think it's the most damning indictment of the kind of the nice guy idea that, yes. that he's presented as a nice guy throughout the whole film, but he's still I, capable of like a kind just of abhorrent misjudgment. Yeah, you're made to fall for it as well. Like I think I think Bo Burnham's actually quite good in this. Uh, I think he's sort of mm -hmm. charming, and I think their relationship, at least towards the beginning, I think works well. There's a quite a slow build to it, which, based on her kind of past, I think is is believable, and makes her acceptance initially of his character, uh, Ryan, I'll stop calling him Bo, uh, more believable, I think. But there's a point where there's like a tonal shift and it goes very rom-com for a, a few scenes. Uh, one in the kind of drugstore, them kind of in a flat following that and, the, and maybe a dinner scene with her parents. I don't know whether that was supposed to be like a point of view through Cassie's kind of cracked lens of reality where she'd found somebody that she'd actually connected with and it was expressed in this heightened rom-com 
sort of style where they sing and dance to a, a, a is it a Paris Hilton song? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it actually just sort of took me out of it for that that little period of the film. I found it a bit jarring as a tonal uh, shift, that bit. Yeah, as I say, I mean, I, I liked that stuff. I wasn't exactly spending, expecting a happy ending, everyone lives happily ever after, like far from it. I knew it wasn't that film, but I, I still, again, I get what Andy's saying and the message you're saying absolutely makes sense. But it's not, that message is, is obvious. You could have done that in many, many different ways. I mean, it's so black and white. I don't, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know anyone who's questioning like the, the severity of the crime or the fact that clearly it gets ignored way too much. But then I think you're massively underestimating society. And I think that is kind of the point of the film as well. I, I think that, yes, it's a massively heightened world, but cases like that happen on a daily basis. And I think people approach figures of like authority in society, whether it be, you know, headmistress at the school in that case, um, and are basically dismissed. I think like there are probably still like police officers that that say like you, you know your chances of actually getting a conviction here are very slim do you think like you really want to go through with this i think there's still friends and family that would say that to people like it's it's point is against that message the idea that like everybody knows that sexual abuse is wrong and so yeah. it, so it's fine we're doing enough but yeah and yeah it happens all the time and yeah yeah, and I think it, it paints a fairly accurate picture of how, particularly like at university age, when there is a lot of alcohol and perhaps drugs involved, like how easily that's used to just just dismiss it. Um, no, I, th- I think I buy into to your your sort of premise there, and I think the message is about the wider systemic issue as opposed to any individual kind of victims or perpetrators. And I think for me, at least, that's enough. It genuinely um, made me think about, like, what I would be like in that sort of situation. And don't get me wrong, I never questioned, like, if I was in a pub and somebody was blackout drunk, whether I would take advantage of them. Like, I'm comfortable <laughs> enough to say that that would never happen. But yeah, but it but did think... make, make me think about, like, what I would do in certain situations. Like, would I help anyone in that situation? Probably well, not. Well, I think that's it, particularly in Ryan's case, when she finds out that he was he was not necessarily the perpetrator of the main injustice, but he was a viewer and, uh, at the time at least, an unrepentant one, and one that didn't try to stop anything. And I think it is fair to sort of question yourself and say, well, yeah, what? who would yeah. I be in that in that moment? Would I be the person I think I should be or would peer pressure or fear or whatever like like I think as myself as a good guy but there's definitely things in my past that I'm not proud of like would Mm. I would I own up to those mistakes if they were like confronted with me big questions (laughs) you don't you don't know the answer do you until you're in that situation but let's talk about Phil (laughs) how did you feel about the fact that she did die like there's obviously a point in the film where it comes to a, a crescendo. She kind of tracks down the main antagonist of her, well, of her life, really, and decides to do some nasty things to him. And in the yeah, process... It's, it's the guy who, uh, who attacked Nina, isn't it? Yeah, so her, like, best friend at, at university. 
but in the process, like he gets the upper hand and ends up suffocating her. That suffocation scene I thought was like intense. It's really long for a start, which I think always makes them feel always like gets it under my skin just when you have to sit with it and and uh, and watch it unfold. I saw an interview where she said, I think she said her brother-in-law or father-in-law was a cop and asked, um, I don't know why we've gone with cop, gone all American. Um, and she asked how long it would take somebody to suffocate in that situation and then made the length of scene that long. Made it, it like that long. Three and a half minutes or something. Yeah, it's I think it's, I think it's some quite effective like sound design in those moments as well. And there's a point where it kind of goes silent and pans out really far and then slowly sort of resolves and zooms in as sound comes back in. And I think at that moment, I realized that I was like holding my breath <laughs> and it, it reminded me to breathe when the sort of sound came back in. But I found that bit really quite affecting watching that. I think the film could have ended at that point as well. And I don't think I would have been mega disappointed like if it had ended on the incredibly like dark ending it would have had that sort of irony and i did for a little while think this as you say that was how it's going to end that the kind of guilty men were going to get away with it and that that in and of itself was another kind of final slam at the institution of saying even at death like they still just kind of waltz away without any any real um consequences so i thought that kind of retribution from beyond the grave had some additional kind of satisfaction i think i think as well like it would have been a bit of a travesty for the character because i think she i don't think you could justify by her character throughout the film that she would walk into that like quite dangerous situation without any kind of backup plan yeah and I think despite her like occasional cruelty, um, despite her vendetta, as, as I agree with you, Mark, is black and white, and I can't you know, entirely agree with how she goes about what she does. Um, and yet I was rooting for her through the film. Like I, was, I couldn't help but kind of feel on her side. Oh, God, in the context of the film, I 100% agreed with her response to everything. Yeah, I think, yeah. I noticed the second time watching it that there's because uh, she I think clearly she's presented as kind of a martyr. I noticed the second time I watched it that there's the, I saw it twice I think once in the coffee shop. I can't remember when the second time was where there's essentially like angel wings behind her in the kind of back of the scene. The other bit I think is when she she's at home and it's her mum's wallpaper. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think I think she is supposed to be shown as this like this like avenging angel. Yeah, essentially, like who was sort of martyred for what she believes in. I don't know if we've mentioned like I think Kerry Mulligan is really really excellent in it. Yeah, I think she's outstanding. I think she kind of elevates it. The film, um, I say, I had a couple of kind of occasional issues with some of the tonal shifts and things but Kerry Mulligan's really really watchable and I think quite engaging on screen yeah I agree yeah I just we're just at odds with the with the thing in general clearly which is fine and I, I wish I had taken what you guys did from it but for me 
the message that you're talking about or like the the purpose of you know the movie is incredibly laudable if that's the case but that doesn't make it narratively satisfying for me as a movie i get that as well like if the main message didn't hit home for me, I don't know why I would have rated this because that was just my overarching takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> I will I will just say I wasn't big on the uh, the soundtrack either. A load of revamped pop songs. I had some weird stuff in there as well. Like there was allusions to uh, Night of the Hunter. I think they even mm-hmm. had the A song from Night of the Hunter play when she um, when she finds out you know, she hears that Bo Burnham was there on the phone. Don't know what that was all about. That struck me as a bit kind of hipster. So I think, and I might be reading too much into this, and this is also on the basis of a couple of songs, but I think that the soundtrack, like the songs may have been picked by who they were as opposed to what the actual songs were. Like you've got like the Britney Spears track, like I say, which is reworked at the end, yeah. Like using a female artist that was kind of plagued by the press, kind of highly sexualized as a young girl. Yeah, it was full of. I mean, I think pretty much all of the soundtrack was um, sort of like girl power pop. No, not the whole soundtrack, but a huge amount of it. So I kind of got the feeling that those songs were picked because of who the artists were more than the actual song itself. It was kind of what that soundtrack like represented. I might be reading too much in that, and that might be absolute nonsense. I can sort of imagine. So I think there are some other hints at that level of detail. As you say, I think some things maybe are purposely left to be am- am- ambiguous. There were points where um, when she challenges the dean and she basically ki- kidnaps her daughter and mm-hmm. at least tells her that she's dropped her off at the dorm that the the rape of Nina happened. And uh, before she kind of pulls the rug out and says, I wouldn't actually do that. Like, you know, she's fine. She's in a diner somewhere. There were times when I was thinking, I'm not quite sure how far this character is willing to go. And I think because of those hints or little nods towards her maybe being murderous or at least highly violent, fed into that uncertainty of whether she was capable of going that far or not um, definitely yeah agree i think as you mentioned with her friend alison brie madison madison thank you um i mean from all intents and purposes until much later on in the film it looks like she's basically paid a man to rape her in a form of retribution yeah. and i mean that's it's just insane. Like at that point, I'm thinking, how, who is this person? How far is she willing to go for? Yeah, she's she's shown as a sociopath through a lot of the, the movie. And then I think a lot of that is Red covered Herons. back up. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of, uh, you find out that the guy that she paid was just there to basically put her to bed and watch over her and give her the impression that something might have happened. I mean, they're still awful, <laughs> awful things to do to people, but not quite as awful as uh, as initially sound. Yeah. I still come back to that thing, and again, fine, it's it's going to be a, a niche thing, obviously, but I still find it troubling, that message, which I take from it, and obviously 
I'm not a woman, as you say, it would have been interesting to have a female perspective. But I know you're saying it's all just about how these people are ignored and the system, the justice system is is not right. Completely get that. But, you know, as a film which probably will be watched by many young girls, like women, whatever, what it's telling them, to me, is concerning as well. I just, uh, you know, there is there is no there is no positivity for them. Basically, it's just telling them you're you're fucked. I get your point, but it just a hundred percent wasn't the takeaway for me. I, I'd rather give a message that like society. So, do you think that's a positive thing for say a sixteen, seventeen year old girl going to college or whatever? I think it'd be more positive, positive thing for them to watch. I think it'd be a hell of a lot more positive thing if. Um, if there was some kind of like drastic change in society, so they were actually supported if in, they were in those situations. I'd rather have that than a hopeful message from a film. Fuck it, there's loads of films that give you hopeful redemption stories. You know, every rom com that starts off with a woman who's had a or a man who's had a like horrendous incident in their past, and they you seem to want it to be a like hopeful rom com. <laughs> You know, things get better. Well, they don't always. Again, though, I, you're looking at it from the other side. I, I think, you know, I don't think it delivers a good message to young women or whatever watching it. I just don't. I'm well, just not sure that's its target. Well, how do we know what its target is? I mean, well, I mean, it's main, what it's any main... film's target is, we have to. I, I, this, this isn't to say that I entirely disagree with you, Mark. Like, I think if that's how it how it kind of hit you, then I think that's. I think we can strongly reasonable. say that this film's message isn't aimed at rape victims and saying that, that there's Go no opportunity for. Yeah, there's no opportunity for. I think saying like, who knows what who it's aimed at? Like, clearly, that's not who it's aimed at with that message. Like, you're fucked. Your life's never going to get any better. You'll never get over this event. Like, I, I, if that was your takeaway, then fine. But clearly that is not the... I'm not saying that... That is not the intention the, of the film. I'm not saying that's the sole takeaway. I'm just saying that's the narrative arc they chose to show. And if you're, and if you're so, saying, like, that people in that situation watching that film who were maybe victims of abuse in the past would take away a positive message from it, no. Absolutely not, but I think like most people shouldn't take away a positive message. Yeah, and that's fine, and I I don't disagree with that at all. Obviously, as I say, it's 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 so obvious a message. How could anyone disagree with it? But it's almost like you can just forgive any of the actual flaws inherent in the film because oh, well, what they're trying to say is great. So never mind that all these things that they set up within it are you know, narratively unsatisfying and almost shocking for the sake of it. There was other ways they could have done it and delivered exactly the same message that they wanted to, in my I, opinion. I, I conceded to you that, like, I, I completely get if the main message of the film didn't hit home for you, that, like, I don't know what you would get out of this film necessarily. But I can't, I don't agree with any of those points there. Like the narrative worked for me, the main message worked for me, like the, the arc of the characters worked for me. Or there was no arc of the characters. Yeah, I, but I was felt like that. 
But I felt like that was like vitally important to the story. <laughs> like the fact Why? that because I think that the main message of the film wouldn't have worked. It just would have been a shit rom-com. Like horrible event. She meets a guy. Why, why she can't, meets, why she, can't she bring them to justice through other means than dying? Because she was supposed to be presented as a martyr, like that this tragic event had ruined her entire life, that like there are consequences to your actions, that, you know, that she wasn't capable of getting over it. Like I thought that was like vitally important. I, I felt... <laughs> I feel like if she got over it and she had a lovely relationship with Ryan, then the main. I, I'm not. The look, film I'm just not, wouldn't have saying I wanted it to be something which I didn't. I didn't want it to be some like ludicrous rom com with like a happy ending. Absolutely not. I'm just saying, for me, and clearly I'm I'm very much alone in it. I just, as you say, everything is heightened. Everything is entirely black and white, and that's fine. But you may as well have just. Written a, I, I don't know. There, there's other ways to deliver that, as a you know, as a piece of attainment. As as I write the start, as a piece of entertainment, it's fine. As a message movie, to me, clearly it didn't work because I didn't get the same thing out of it. I I feel those. Well, ultimately, you're saying, you know, it may provoke a response within within the the, the world. That they treat rape differently. If I'm, not saying, case, I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying like that is presumably its glorious aim. Like yeah, and I, if that's I the case, I don't think a movie will. Don't get me wrong. Well, but... if, if that's the case, fantastic. But you know, as I say, there was yeah. I don't know. As you say, we're going around in circles. Let's just score this sucker. Yeah. Well, to summarize. <laughs> I enjoyed this film quite a bit. I say I, I kind of side with Andy in that I do think the, the message is a broader thing. I don't think it... I didn't have a problem with uh, how it plays out, I think, with her dying, as you say, as a martyr. I think it's a, it's... The film itself is based quite in reality, but I think the message is more esoteric than that. I think it's kind of a... a slightly more mythological with her being martyred. Overall, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I'm going to take off a, just a little bit for the rom com scenes in the middle that I just found a bit jarring. But yeah, overall, enjoyed it. 7 out of 10. Cool. Yeah, fuck it. Uh, 10 out of 10. I think as a film that, like, I do... <laughs> as angrily as I've uh, tried to shout you down. I do completely see it from that point of view in that if the message of the film doesn't hit home for you, then I don't know what you're taking out of the film. I do think there are plenty of other elements to enjoy about it, but my rating is just entirely based on that. Like the film just stayed with me. It ruined my evening, essentially. I watched it and it put me in a bad mood. And I, uh, yeah. <laughs> 10 out of 10. I couldn't mean a bad mood. Yeah. Like, yeah, but I <laughs> no, think. That... I, I know what you mean. I'm being facetious. Yeah. I know, no, I know. Look, I, I'm always delighted if, you know, fantastic. That That's awesome. I'm, I'm really glad that you loved it and it, it did that for you. I mean, you know, I'm not that far of will, really. Again, I just, 
I just feel like what you're saying about that message, to me, it seems like so obvious a thing. Like after five minutes of the movie, obviously you're angry at the crime and and all of that. I don't want to extend it any further, but I think in there lies the message that it is obvious and yet it still like systematically goes unpunished. So yeah. despite it being obvious, it still goes on. And I think that is the message. You are obviously supposed to root against these guys. If you go and, and yet, you, you're right. Like yeah, it still happens. You're right. Like if you go and ask any person, do you think rape is good? You're not going to get a yes from anyone, are you? And yet, like there are still, yeah, just systematic things that are. I didn't mean yeah. to start this again. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, there are just systematic things that still allow situations of sexual abuse to happen on a like daily basis. I, I like you're right. Nobody's watching that film thinking rape is good, but yet we're still not doing enough to like protect victims. Yeah, and I wish maybe it had gone more into that then because I feel like it doesn't go that much into it. It has a liar character and it has the dean of the school or whatever. That aside, there's no people in power really featured at all. I mean, I'm saying, based... people, I'm saying people in power as well. Like, it's not just that. I think it is sort of society as a whole. It's all our, friend, it's all our friends that weren't... All the people at the party that weren't willing to step in then and weren't willing to say anything later and weren't willing to admit their mistakes, what, 10 years later? Yeah, exactly, which which is my point. It's like, well, okay, yeah. I mean, that is incredibly bleak, but it, it feels... I know you're saying that's that's the way it is. I mean, maybe I'm just uh, incredibly naive, but... You know, I guess I have a little bit more optimism in me than that. I was just looking for a touch more positivity. Um, I know that's not what it was trying to achieve, but I think it's um, an entertaining film. I actually did enjoy all the, we keep calling it romantic comedy stuff. I mean, it's about as far from a romantic comedy as you can get, really. But I enjoyed that stuff. I thought there were some fantastic individual scenes, and I do like the fact that it gets people talking. I mean, you know, yeah, I've got issues with it, but I've thought about it a lot. And that's always a positive thing. Anything that provokes discussion, thumbs up, big time. So I'll give it a six. Yeah, it's it's decent. I just, you know, I still feel like somewhat, and I feel like you're praising the concept rather than the execution. Well, no, I'm not because the concept was entirely sold to me. If I understood what the concept was, but I walked away feeling nothing, like it didn't hit home for me, then it would have been a seven out of 10. Or, but the concept really, like, like I say, like it triggered a pretty like emotional response from me. So, mm. so no, like it, it, was it wasn't just the concept it was hugely effective at selling its message to me okay cool not that i think it really matters but i, I just might uh I'd probably amend my score to an eight i think i was dancing between a seven and an eight but i think an eight might be more reflective about like how i felt about it than a seven that doesn't really matter okay so that brings us on to the album which is sun leads me on by Half Moon Run from 2015. 
Andy, tell me why you picked this album. Yeah, I said, like, very different picks for me this week. I really like Half Moon Run. I wanted to pick something that I liked and I thought you guys weren't going to be super familiar with. I should say as well, like, I'm not saying this is, uh, I'm not coming to this with the standpoint that this is like a 10 out of 10 album. I have criticisms of it. I, I like the band. This is, I just picked an album. Like, I didn't put any thought into it. This is not necessarily my favourite one. But yeah, I thought it might be more interesting just to have a little little change and actually pick something that I'm familiar with and, and like. Cool beans. Marco, what are your thoughts on it? First three tracks, I was really psyched for this album. I thought it was going to be a potential really high scorer for me. And moreover, just an album that I really loved. I think the first three tracks are, are terrific. And I know we always seem to go into this, but I do think it it slumps fairly considerably for me. Um, not that it goes bad. I don't think it does. There's still the occasional tune sprinkled throughout. But it just seems a little bit more generic and commercial and safe. I just didn't think the songs were quite as good. But, yeah, I'm generally positive, I would say. How about you, Will? I think I've maybe come to a similar slightly more positive conclusion the bits of this album that i like are more scattershot i agree uh, i think the first three songs are cool but i like the fifth song turn your love uh, i think that's a cool song with some uh i like the muted harmony guitars on that and the title track sun leads me on pretty much based on just one chord change that happens at the end of every verse and in the choruses it just hits this big major chord and it's nice. <laughs> I like it. I think you're right, though. I think there's a few songs on the album that are just a little bit lackluster. And uh, he's pointing out many of them have like nice bits of melody or nice harmonies in them. But overall, they're just sort of fine songs. I think the ninth track, Everybody Wants, I think, I think was the one that, that was the most egregious it's like a five-minute build song that by the time it gets to the end, it just builds to nothing and then, <laughs> and then stops. Yeah, it kind of has a bigger version of the chorus at the end, and that's kind of it, isn't it? Yeah, and then, and then sort of trails off. And then the 10th track throws, nice enough sort of two-minute instrumental, but in an album with a lot of tracks, I just I wouldn't miss it. Even think... Everybody Wants, though, I agree that that's... It's a little bit of a of a drony one, but even that has a chord change where it goes into like the kind of vocal breakdown. One of the, one of the chord changes there is is really good, and I will say that even the the weaker songs do tend to have a couple of moments here or there, which, which are pretty cool. I kind of came into this from the standpoint that I've always felt that they're a band who have a perfect album, like in them, this isn't it, and there are the two albums aren't it. But I like so much of what they do, 
And I kind of agree with Mark as well. Actually, I kind of agree with both of you. Like, I think everybody wants is a sort of example of it where um, it tends to be the more kind of folk-influenced tunes for me where there's still always something in there. Often the harmonies aren't particularly, like, complex, but I think they're they're super nice, like, often, like, four-part harmonies. And, yeah, I'm just a, like, sucker for that. But I do prefer the kind of more progressive indie stuff. And I, I think the folk stuff, like, there's enough kind of interesting things in there that I like, but I, I rarely listen to them, um, like, listening to a full album because, like, two-thirds of the album I'll really like, and then the other third, I think, like, yeah, that was nice enough. But it just doesn't it slightly disappoints me because like I say, I sort of I really like the stuff that that I think's good on this album. I do think like there's the potential there to just have a like perfect album. Mm. I think a plus point for me is that it's quite a varied album. Um I mean they do lean into that sort of folk pop, folk rock thing a, a few times, but also have like a as you say, the slightly more indie-ish sounding songs. Um, the first one's uh, Warmest Regards has like a 60s mellow rock sort of sound. Uh, I think the album ends on like a disco pop song, uh, which name escapes me. Trust. 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 So I think like I appreciate its variety. They don't rest completely on one sound. Uh, and I think that's kind of laudable. I think part of that leads from the kind of, I'd love to see them live. Like, I think they do that, like, pretentious, like, instrument swapping thing all the time. I, th- I think it's one of the rare examples, because usually I just think, like, Dobby Dickhead's, like, the best guitar is just fucking play guitar. But yeah. I think it works for them, because actually they get, like, a huge range of, like, different instrumental, like, styles throughout it and stuff. I, I like a lot of the kind of percussive things that they do, which is often because the drummer is just like all the drums pretty much are just a backbeat, which he's doing with like one hand because he's usually playing the like bass riff on a synth during it. And so all the other percussive things come from like when they want like, you know, big booming drums is because the like lead singers smashing some out as well or... I think it kind of works for them because if they want to add a bit of piano in, then the lead guitarist will, you know, play a little piano line for a few bars. I it adds a ton of that interest. Pretty handy if you've got a band of multi-instrumentalists. It's funny because my main complaint would be that I find a lot of it quite derivative um, of bands who've done similar things better, in my opinion. But then again... The tracks I like are also kind of derivative, but I just think they do it better. Yeah, Warmest Regards, fantastic opener. Quite Kind of reminds me of M. Ward, but really nice vocal melody. Kind of that pastoral feeling is really nice. Really like all the guitar sounds and the playing. In the first three songs, in fact, all the guitars, great. Like, I really like the little lead breaks. They're simple. Mm-hmm but he changes it up. Like there's different guitar tones each time. I think one of them is an acoustic. Yeah. Um, in the I, appreciate, song. I appreciate short solos. Yeah. 
and I dug the guitar solo in the second song, which is kind of a bluesy kind of thing, but it was it was melodic and had a lot of energy to it. The third song is the most energetic on the whole record, really. Yeah, um, I really like the drive in that one. Yeah, it's cool. And it still has that thing where there's, I wouldn't say they're like mad chord changes, but there's, there's one or two in there which just keep it interesting. But then I I slightly disagree, I've got to be honest, on the um, the the title track, uh, Sun Leads Me On. Like that was an example where it just kind of felt like early Fleet Foxes or just that kind of folk pop sound. And then other ones, like you also mentioned, Turn Your Love. Mm-hmm. Not for me. It, it just sounds like it's, if it was on the radio, it wouldn't grab me. It sort of sounds like, I don't know, modern U2 or bad Coldplay or something. Like a lot of it has that sort of sound to it. And it's a shame because that... <laughs> When they're good, they're really good. I, I kind of like Narrow Margins. That's got a kind of big earwormy chorus, I think. And I agree, the little instrumental, what that made me think of, like, like, okay, that's the only time you've actually just used a piano, I think, really, on the record. And it's kind of nice, but yeah, I agree. It doesn't it doesn't really add anything. I'd have, I'd have preferred they just had an entire song built around the piano. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think that song is a bit of a throwaway. Like, it's it's nice enough, but it doesn't do anything for me. You're right. Like, I don't know why that's not a full instrumental. Like, I think that could have been super interesting. Yeah, it's, and there's just... I think that run of songs... Sorry, I'm, I'm nearly done, I promise. Yeah, the no, run no, of no. songs from about four pretty much through close, I don't think there's that much variety. And some of it, when they try it, doesn't work. Like, Devil May Care, no thanks. It's just a kind of bad little folk ditty. The final track, which was apparently the first single, no idea why that's ending the album. They got about three other sound, um, three other songs on the album that sound like built-in closers mm, with the big builds. And I don't like that song. I mean, that feels like a massive push for for radio play, which about half the album does. It. I don't know if I'd entirely blame them, I don't know who produced it, but it does very much sound to me like a lot of it is let's make a commercially successful record. That's interesting. Cause I, I kind of got the, I kind of get the vibe from them as a band. So that's, I mean, they've had commercial success, but not like massive commercial success. And I've never got the feeling that they've particularly played for that. They at least have bits that are sort of, thematically similar that they could churn out a Mumford and Son like stomp along track that would probably do much better in the charts I would have thought than most of the tracks on this I I do have disappointments on this album and I do agree with some of your comments but I think like they just don't the tracks that I like less are just nowhere near as low as you seem to seem to think and a couple of them I actually quite like like I like Turn Your Love quite a lot Mm -hmm. And also, I kind of agree with Will. I think it's a bit more scattergun. Like, I think the the end of the album, maybe the last four tracks. Devil My Care, I don't mind. Yeah, The Debt Trust. Yeah. The- throws, I'm not really that fussed about. And it's why I don't listen to it that much as an album. 
I agree with Will, it's kind of dotted about, actually. There's not... Like, Hands in the Garden's quite nice, but it's sort of nice. I don't think it's as interesting as some of the others. But then, like, the middle of the album, there's a couple of tracks I really like. Like, it, it works itself out again as that big, like, driving percussive thing throughout it. I quite dig. And that's track eight, so that's sort of towards the towards the end. So Devil May Care, I don't mind either. I think maybe I'm more forgiving because I just really like those like super nice harmonies and stuff. And like you say, there's enough interesting chord changes thrown in to keep my interest in a song that's quite stripped, stripped back kind of indie folk feel to it. See, like track eight, that's it works itself out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that one's not bad, but again, that one strikes me as derivative of like Radiohead. And it's got a super cool chord progression right at the end of the song, which I really like and I wish they'd done more of that. And it's, it's not bad, but again, it's just that run of songs. I feel like all of them, they don't really have their own identity for me. They sort of sound like they've taken a lot of influence, which is fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I do just feel like other bands do that stretch of songs better. I just don't think it maintains the heights of the first three songs for me, which I, I do think were sort of all eight nines out of ten. I was really excited about the rest of the album. And then, yeah, hits that hands in the garden and it's okay. It just immediately, I wouldn't say boring, but it is, it's a little bit more dull. Mm. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get I I didn't get that at all from it. Like the first three songs on the album aren't my favourite three tracks. Although I do agree that I like all three tracks a lot. But it's like they're not they're not my favourite three on the album. In fact, you consider yourself okay. probably is. I, and also I do agree with the point of like not quite having an identity as a band. I think they found it as well at the moment um, mm. with their later albums, and I do still like it quite a lot, but. I don't think they're doing tracks like Consider Yourself anymore. And that sort of disappoints me a little bit. Yeah, I did. In the sort of second half of the album, I was hoping for another, that kind of uh, more pacey driven song, I think would have been nice in the second half of the album. I don't disagree with you that that it is derivative of other stuff. And I wrote down quite a few, including Fleet Foxes. But also I think Hands in the Garden reminded me quite a bit of Guillemot's. Mm. And yeah, like I, you can't necessarily say that is a an absolute positive thing. I think because it is, they've not just taken one influence and run with it because it is dotting about different stuff that keeps it kind of interesting enough for me. And I think, as Andy said, the lows aren't as low for me. Um, the songs that I don't like, like I say, I think everybody wants... I think the first time I listened to it, it just sort of annoyed me that I waited for this build and then it, and then the song ended. And since then, I've had a bit of a vendetta against it. And as I think we've all said, throws is, well, throw away. Thank you. Great. <laughs> but um, I mean, for almost every song, when I've written, I've just written like cool harmonies or nice harmonies. And uh, yeah, again, a bit like Andy, I'm a sucker for that. Um, and it sort of elevates songs sometimes above their basic structures. I think they're always, regardless of the kind of 
like stylistic choices in the in the songs. I think they're always like quite subtly kind of arranged. I, I don't think there's a massive like show of musicianship through tons of it. Like you say, like when there is a little kind of instrumental break or guitar solo or whatever, I always think they're quite like appropriately nice, but they're not particularly like showy. I, I don't think they kind of, I think they probably are quite good musicians, but you know, there's nothing, yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing shouting that out. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah. But that feels like to me, there's less of those after the opening slew of tracks. Like the first track has a flute in it. There's nothing like that again later on. And there wasn't really any, you know, it's like kind of, oh, I'll use a couple of different guitar sounds and an acoustic and we'll get that all done in the first couple of tracks. And then there's there's kind of no real lead guitar stuff in the rest of the record. I think there's a little bit at the end of that everybody wants. There's not there's not a lot of, it's, sure. it gets a bit more synthy, I suppose. I'm not sure I... Do I necessarily think that's true? I think there is in Narrow Margins and Some Leads Me On, isn't there? Like lead guitar. I think there is in Some Leads Me On, sir, that, that I remember anyway. But I think it does, I mean, I think it's fair to say it, it gets a bit more stripped back as the album goes on. And at least for a period, the songs are simpler in both sort of structure and instrumentation. But yeah, I quite like Devil May Care. I know you didn't, uh, weren't digging it, but I quite like it. You get a bit of bouncy rhythms again i think it was what i was looking for in that second half was something to kind of pick it pick the album back up again again it's this thing i like keep saying but again like definitely care's just got like super nice vocals the vocal lines i think are always good and the harmonies some... are just like tasteful is right but uh, they're always just super nice harmonies i got some tallest man vibes i think mm. from that one but it is the last song that i liked on the album and yeah i think both the debt and trust are just they just sort of miss the mark for me. I think the debt's okay. The ones that miss the mark for me, I think uh five, six out of ten. I never think they're bad. I guess I think that the the kind of nice vocals, even if there's not much going on, the vocal lines are kind of good enough and the harmonies are nice enough to carry it for me. I never mind them as songs. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't quite as enthusiastic about the harmonies. I think at times they're really good. I love the way they they work. Again, I always come back to these these first few songs, but the way the harmonies come in as just a kind of um, wordless backdrop in the first song is is lovely, and it's got a really strong central vocal melody in that one. I think later on it it just just they just go for that wash thing, which again reminds me of Fleet Foxes and various other bands. And it's fine, but it just sounds like they've recorded several backing vocalists and shoved a load of reverb on it. I don't think the uh, the note choices, the the actual harmonies, the, the chords they're making, they're not hugely interesting. It's it's pleasant, but that sort of lent it again. It's a little bit overproduced for me, a little bit too commercial sounding, although. They do still have the moments, as I say, the the vocal harmonies in everything once in those breakdown bits are really good. So it's a bit of a mix, but yeah, I, I don't think I'm just as... That element in itself isn't enough for me to sort of pass some of those songs. 
they're fine. I, you know, I, I wouldn't really rate any of them lower than a five either. But it does drag the overall album down for me. Hmm. What was everyone's favourite track? I start a few because I couldn't quite pick. I think I'm going to give it number three, Consider Yourself, because I just, I like the the drive of that song from the very beginning. Cool synth bass. I say like cool guitar sounds in that one when they come in, hard pandy mm-hmm. the side. When the piano sort of joins the harmony in the second verse is awesome. Yeah, that's my favorite track. Yeah, I mean, I'd, no one's mentioned I can't figure out what's going on. Which is the second track? I, yeah, that's I one like of my favourites. I think that's awesome. That doesn't feel derivative. That one to me. That is the first one that I put Fleet Foxes vibes. But oh, yeah. I like. I, I, I like. It's got. It's more rocking than Fleet Foxes. That one. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I did like that song. Just, yeah, just not quite the top tier for me. Yeah, fair enough. I guess ultimately, I'd. If I had to pick one, it would be Warmest Regards. I just think it's the strongest song there. It was the other one I was thinking. Like, I think mm. it's, uh, I think that's a cool, cool song. Yeah, Warmest Regards, Consider Yourself, I like quite a lot. I know you didn't like it, Mark, but uh, track five, Turn Your Love, is um, probably my favourite track. Actually, Consider Yourself is probably my favourite track, but for the sake of picking something different. And um, I mentioned it earlier. It works itself out. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it was called, wasn't it? Oh, I mentioned it because it was one of those tracks that kind of passed me by, like before I listened to the album this week. But actually, it like grew on me quite a lot over the week. I thought it's a cool tune. Again, it's got that kind of that driving synth bass through the uh, through the whole thing, and like quite a. Yeah, driving percussion it keeps the song like really motoring forward even though it's kind of got a lot of those folk elements to it still i think the vocalist definitely has some early tom york in him there were several points where just some of his mannerisms and leaning into the higher notes and i don't know the vowel sounds or whatever were quite reminiscent I'd like agree. i think it's i, I like I like early Tom York, so I forgot that's to cool, mention but... that. Like that's one of my favourite bits of it works itself out is the like really like screamy falsetto at the uh the like last chorus. Yeah, that is cool. That song ends really well, actually. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I like the song, but the last like 30 seconds of the song I really, uh, Super really cool, yeah. dig. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I jot I jotted down in the debt that I thought the vocals were like early radiohead reminiscent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I haven't gone to listen to their other stuff yet. I I will do because I remember you saying to the pub uh, to me ages ago that they're a band who at that time you were saying like two, three songs an album, something like that, which were really strong. Um, yeah, I think I think having listened to this like quite a lot this week, I was wondering what I was going to rate it because I I really like a few songs every album. I think also, I've been listening to this quite a lot, I think their first album is probably better. Mm. But actually, I think overall as an album, it's probably grown on me a little bit because they did used to frustrate me a lot, whereas actually I think as an album, I still like this quite a lot. 
It is a solid album. It's it's definitely solid. I just I guess the only thing I'm slightly surprised by is that the majority of the tracks which I find a little bit bland. I think there's other bands that you've said in the past like you're not a fan of who they seem very similar to me. But it's it's you know everyone has their own like you know preferences or whatever maybe it is just stuff different like different strokes for different folks. Yeah and you know if you really like that vocal wash stuff, then obviously this will work because it's it's all over it. I don't think some of the comparisons that you made, I just don't, I've just never, I, I've never thought that. I've never got the idea from it that it's like a heavily commercial album. Like I'm not surprised that it wasn't a mega commercial success. I, I feel like if they wanted to make a commercial album, this wouldn't have been what they would have made. There's a much mm. more commercial end of this sort of musical spectrum as you say um, like i say like i think they could do a, or... yeah absolutely like they could do a foot stomping sort of indie folk album that would sell quite well and i think like there are little elements of that on this album and i think if they wanted to do that and be commercial they would do that i don't think i don't think there's any like pandering to be commercial here and and yeah like comparisons with like you mentioned, like Coldplay and U2, like that sounds, I don't know. I, I can't see that at all. Like the, every single song has more interesting chord progressions than any Coldplay song that Chris Martin's ever, ever in. Oh my God, that is so far off the mark. <laughs> I knew that was going to get a reaction, but I'm still going <laughs> to stick with it. So are we ready for scoring? Yeah. Who wants to go first? I've already done it tonight. Go on, Mark, because I don't want to. It's a real tough one. Again, I think, you know, the first, I was really hoping this could be a, a nine, to be honest, initially, and it, it goes way off that for me. It's it's right in between a six and a seven. I feel bad giving it a six because there's, there's stuff about it that I really like and there's some songs that I really like, but there's there's so many which I just find there's not enough to it to to grab me i'm going six it's funny because my score's going to be higher but my criticisms are similar (laughs) we didn't necessarily pick out the same songs but there were also songs that i would rate like nine or ten out of ten and then yeah there are just always some that disappoint me i'm between a seven and an eight an eight feels really generous because there are some songs I think are a bit nothingy, and seven seems really harsh because of how much I really love four, five tracks. Ah, fuck it, eight. I'm feeling generous. Well, I can make this nice and quick uh, to be a broken record. I think, despite the fact that I probably really like fewer than half the tracks on the album, the ones I do like, I really like, and for some reason i'm quite like quite excited about them i'm not feeling quite as generous so i'm going to plug it right in the middle of you guys i'm gonna give it a seven out of ten okay so that brings us to our final segment the top five list uh this week we have top five guilty pleasure songs i did clarify when i shouted it out as well you don't actually have to feel guilty about it i just wanted a uh Basically, thought it'd be fun for us to chat about. The, oh my uh, god, this is this is going to be like a confessional for me. 
Uh, th- like, it's just fun <laughs> to, to chat about the shit pop that you like rather than us being pretentious dickheads all the time. I think there's still room for pretension in my list. Yeah, I'll go a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Who wants to kick us off? Number five. I wanted a uh, an 80s pick in there. Love a bit of 80s cheese, uh, especially big old power ballads. So uh, number five, I've gone for Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield from 1981. Know Lovely the song? choice. I do indeed. Yeah. It's an absolute cheese fest. It absolutely is. Like just power chords, big synth stabs. It's just uh, the vocal is just catchy. I watched it on YouTube whilst I was randomly searching for songs that I might put in this list. And the most interesting thing that I found that was that all of the comments were about one person who'd been doing a 365-day challenge where they listened to this song every day and left a different comment about it and uh, got to 364 and just deleted their account. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, It's a great tale. And secondly... Sorry, go on. (laughs) I was going to say that just could be an episode of like the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Delaney, yeah, shout out. And uh, secondly, that Rick Springfield, apparently me and Will watch about nine seasons of Supernatural. <laughs> I can't really explain why. But apparently Rick Springfield's uh, quite a major part in season 12. <laughs> uh, we never got that far, but <laughs> I feel like we should now. Anyway, that's number five, Jesse's Girl. I'm unfamiliar with it, which is disappointing. I'll, I'll definitely be listening after. Oh, so so <laughs> you should. I'm going to go straight in. Straight in. We'll put, you know, coming off from where we just spoke about before, which is a Coldplay song called Viva La Vida. Oh, yeah. Yep. It sounds like a Christmas song. All the lyrics sound Christmassy. Absolutely no idea what he is on about. But I think it's a, I think it's a great little single, lovely stuff. I've got to admit, I'm far from a Coldplay fan. We actually don't mind it. Not a bad song. I've got to admit, you've talked about Coldplay before, to the point where I went and listened to that album, and uh, yeah, I thought it was shit. But I'm really <laughs> happy that you uh, that you like it, man. Yeah, it's so bizarre that you think that album's shit. You're just listening wrong. I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, just, it's just really bored. It's so good. There's like, I mean, talk about variety. There's everything on it. Anyway, I'm not talking about the album because the album, I think, is uh, there's nothing guilty about it. It's one or two like fairly bait songs on it, but fuck's sake, like they're a massive band. It's actually quite a daring album because it's pretty proggy. But yeah, that, that single anyway, uh, the string arrangement, I really like. It kind of reminds me of Cloud Bursting by Kate Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that there isn't really any drum beat to speak of. It's just all percussion and they've got like timpani, fully embracing just these over-the-top elements. And yeah, I've heard it so many times and it, I, I'm, I'm not bored of it. It's, it's a pleasure. It's a slightly guilty one, but ah, it is a okay. pleasure. Don't feel guilty about any of it. Will's looking guilty for number five. (laughs) Uh, My number five was famous for being a a single with Shrek 
and famous for being a single with the much underrated Mystery Men and is all-star by the superb punk band Smash Mouth. Absolute tune. I can't think of that with, without thinking of just a million Smash Mouth memes. Yeah. It's basically it's just, it's just, just a meme song to me now. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, a, I have a genuine sort of soft spot for Smash Mouth. They're really dumb, but, <laughs> but their songs often had a kind of, um, what's the, doesn't help, I've just forgotten the type of music. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a country derivative. Um, it tends to be like a goth version of it. Might be done with like a washboard. I mean, it's so far gone now. I just... Uh... I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. A goth? <laughs> Sorry, I can't, I can't help. A goth vibes with a washboard. Goth washboard. <laughs> slightly country. A classic genre. <laughs> absolutely not a clue, mate. Right? <laughs> It'll come to me at like three in the morning. I don't know how to move on from this now. Um, <laughs> I'm defeated. Uh, smash mouth. Enjoy it. <laughs> number four. Yeah. My number four. Big shout out to uh, to friend of the podcast, Mr. Phil Dixon. Um, I'm going to go with MacArthur Park by uh, Richard Harris. Great choice. Great shout. Mm. I mean, it's also pretty memeable uh, for its uh, unusual subject matter in terms of the lyrics, which I find just super endearing every time I listen to it. I'd heard it before Phil showered it out, but I probably hadn't listened to it for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're some of the funniest lyrics delivered so sincerely. Oh, yeah. No kidding. That, that's the magic in it, is that he believes every word he says about... I think it was written, like, genuinely with... It's not meant to be any kind of, like, silly lyrics. Like, it was written with genuine feeling and heart. And the orchestration behind it is... It's just, like, baroque pop, isn't it? Like, just, like, glorious horns and... Uh, like super sweeping strings, and it is dead cheesy, but uh, absolutely love it. And then the last like three minutes of the song just go to this like, yeah, crazy, yeah, baroque pop breakdown, like big tempo change, and uh, yeah, it's ace. It's lovely stuff. <laughs> super song, but there are so many elements to it that are terrible. I genuinely considered whether it was too good to make my list, but I think if you write if you write if you write those lyrics, it's definitely gonna qualify. Great shout. Marco, numero four. That's just reminding me one that I didn't think of, so I'm gonna put it in. Which is uh by the legend Leonard Nimoy. It's the ballad of Bilbo Peggins. Oh yes. Which it's is not... which is magnificent. <laughs> it's just so fun. And the fact that it's Leonard Nimoy just obviously elevates it. Yeah. Again, so sto so like stoically delivered are the lines yep. about Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. <laughs> I love that both him and Shatner just had the they both had the most ludicrous music careers in comp- entirely different ways. Yeah, I have nothing more to add on that one. (laughs) (laughs) It exists and it's great. Yeah, it is great. Full stop. Game over. Okay. 
my number four is uh, Girl in the Fire by Pendulum. Oh. I'm not I'm not a big uh, drum and bass guy. Not really a big electronic music guy at all. But I find Pendulum like surprisingly tuneful and surprisingly musical. And the songs sort of have direction and not just kind of one melody with the drums turned up and down for a bit. <laughs> Um, they they sort of develop. Uh, this song in particular samples a cool little kind of acoustic guitar picked a couple of seconds. Um, yeah, it's looped in cool ways with cool synth sounds and really heavy drum and bass. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Pendulum from, uh, from my uni. I couldn't possibly tell you if that was one of the songs that I remember, but um, yeah, I've heard, no, I worse, reckon... heard worse drum and bass. I'm unfamiliar again, sadly. The, the name Pendulum sounds like they should be of the uh, the gothic washboard genre to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever that whatever that genre might be. If you can't think of it, well, do you guys fancy a um, gothic washboard trio? <laughs> Absolutely, I'm into it. I'm into it. What would we call the genre? <laughs> if it already had a name, what would it be? <laughs> oh, God, one of these days. It'll well, I know is that somehow it sound, ends up sounding like Smash Mouth. Which I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ, I forgot we needed to end up sounding like, like Smash Mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, hard to remember that's where he started now. <laughs> The only album I've ever really listened to by Pendulum is Hold Your Colour, which was, again, the one that was popular when we were at uni. But yeah, give it a listen. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Number three. Number three is the tune that I thought maybe you would have in your list, and so I had a replacement for it, um, which I'm now sort of disappointed that it sounds like I'm not going to get the opportunity to give, but um, <laughs> it's uh, Chandelier by Sia. Um, the tune with tune with a big T. It is a tune with a big T. Yeah, it's um, it's just a like massive electro pop ballad. Um, it does nothing interesting in any of the instrumental bits, and the vocals are fucking superb. Absolute yeah, huge chorus. Absolute beast. Um, yeah, she really belts it out, and she I, yeah, surprisingly fond of that song. <laughs> I like that song a lot. Also, I like the video. Um, which is this like eleven year old kid just like like sort of abstract dancing around an apartment, and I quite like the song Elastic Heart as well by her off the same album, which is the same kid with Shia LaBeouf uh kind of mad dancing around this cage. I see as a theme emerging. who do you think she'll add next? Now it's the kid, Shia LaBeouf and Arnold Schwarzenegger dancing around a car park. <laughs> I think in, in fairness, I think like I think she struggled with like alcoholism and drug abuse and stuff. And I think that this album is supposed to heavily represent that. Like the well, like Chandelier. Now I feel bad about mocking it. Well, Chandelier is all about a uh, like party girl, isn't it? And I think it's supposed to be the uh recovery. The, well, I think it's supposed to be like the big highs of of being a sort of party girl and going out and drinking all the time, but actually kind of ruining your life doing it. The deeper meaning doesn't matter. Fun song. Yeah. Very, 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 very quick shout out is that I was going to put um, Dancing on Your Own by Robin in there instead. 
as a uh, absolute sad, sad 2000s banger. <laughs> it's just a like disco pop song, but uh, I think the lyrics are genuinely quite good in it. About somebody like dancing in a club watching uh, the guy that they won't get off with somebody else. But it's not in so there because I've got Sia. Yeah. Marco, you're number three. Nice. Well, I, I thought I'd better play to type because I, I feel like Andy was silently demanding it. <laughs> so we, we've got a Will Young tune, of course. Lovely. Now, obviously, I'm more of a fan of Will's Deeper Cuts, you know, the, the, the album. The B-sides. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've gone for Leave right now because I feel like it's probably not very good. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's the really... guilt part sorted. I would, the I, I'd second that, but carry on. <laughs> I really like it. I think it's got a a great little melody, lovely little uh, middle eight there, you know, Will hitting the heights, loving his work. One thing I will, one thing I will concede is, as you said the name, I did sing it in my head. There you go. I'll grant you that. Like, it it is an earworm. I do genuinely like the album Friday's Child and the album Keep On by Will Young. Of which Leave Right Now is on Friday's Child, I think. But yeah, it's it's a very, very commercial, massive hit, which I uh, I have a soft spot for. Lovely stuff. I was a I was a Gareth Gates man myself. (laughs) It was. It may be forced upon you in the future. Who who knows? Exciting. My number three, I have selected Electric Sunrise by Pliny, and. This is to represent a certain part of my taste, uh, which is the absolute complete and utter wankery of like instrumental prog rock. <laughs> oh, I, I so considered putting, I don't know the song, but I so considered putting a similar song in. There's like Pliny and Chon is another, uh, another good example. Animals uh, as leaders of just, yeah, complete instrumental wankery. I almost put and, a. Um, Polyphia song in. Oh, yeah, yeah, another, um, another good example. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's just fucking nonsense in it, but and I can't, admittedly, can't like listen to it for long. <laughs> About three tracks is is more or less my limit, but uh, for those three tracks, oh boy, there's some uh, a lot of frets being uh, fretted. <laughs> Believe you me. Okay, I can, I, I, yeah, I can completely get on board with that. I mean, they're at the best when they are they are kind of melodic. Um, I think they can transcend into complete, like, insular nonsense. But most of these bands, they still have kind of an eye on being listenable. you just got to really be into lots of tap guitar and mad time rhythms and very rarely strong hooks, but uh, cool guitar sounds. Once more, I don't know it, but I feel like... Phil Dixon would approve, and that's that's enough for me. Yeah, I think you'd know the like the general genre. Like you'd definitely have heard stuff that's like it. Yeah, I think yeah. you'd. I don't know the song, but I get the vibe you're talking about. I think you would know it and hate it. I think you would dismiss yeah. it within 25 seconds as being <laughs> just pretentious wankery. And if you don't like the first 25 seconds, you're not going to like the rest. <laughs> it doesn't hide what it is. <laughs> no, it is. Good. All right, cheap pick, but 
I banged it in there anyway. Uh, so number two is uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, her of um, Call Me Maybe fame. And it is the, oh, song, yeah. the song Run Away With Me. I don't um, think I know it. I wouldn't expect you to. Why would you? It's a Carly Rae Jepsen song. I know it because one of my favorite YouTubers did a cover of it. And it's like a sort of proggy, like jazz school cover. And I think the cover is super, super cool. And I heard that like a year ago and then eventually got around to listening to the original and actually thought, you know what? Original's pretty damn good. It's completely different. It's all like beastie sort of synth bass. It's got this like sax riff. I think it's a real sax with just a ton of chorus and and stuff on it. Um, but it just gives it that like big beastie sound. I'm pretty sure it has the same four chords throughout the entire song. And it's, uh, yeah, super catchy. Super catchy, really fun to listen to. I do still prefer the cover, but actually I think the song's pretty great because it was such a guilty pick because it's uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. I thought I'd bump it right up the list. <laughs> Good man. I don't know why it's so effective to me. I really think it's like <laughs> perfect little, perfect little pop song. Like there is nothing to it and yet really gets stuck in my head. <laughs> Just hit all the right notes. Yeah. Alrighty, Marco, you're number two. Well, I, you know, it's, <laughs> it's in line with Andy's pick, I suppose. It represents what I would say is really the, the zenith of uh, <laughs> commercial, saccharine, meaningless tripe, overplayed, and it's Rule the World by Take That. Wow. I don't know why I can't. <laughs> I'm trying to think how it goes, and I can't. Well, think, right. of, think of basically any charity advert from like the last <laughs> five years. <laughs> no, again, I'm not going to demonstrate. But when you said that, when you said the title, I heard it. Could you just sing me a uh, five seconds? Was it, it was featured in the movie Stardust with uh, mm. Ricky Gervais and Robert De Niro. Never saw the film. Nope. Do you remember beautiful, the song? Beautiful film, beautiful song. You know, Barlow just pouring his heart out to the world. And then there's that euphoric chorus, which just celebrates all that is good about people. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's shit, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like it. I appreciate Take That's longevity. Yeah. Good for them. <laughs> it sounds it sounds glorious, man. I'm I'm fairly sure I've heard it, but you definitely... oh, you will have done, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I thought you could escape it. Honestly, can't pull it to mind. Sorry, Don't take well. that. A few years old now, but definitely. Okay, my number two. It could have been a lot of songs from this band, but on this occasion, I've picked "Notorious" by Duran Duran. Nice. I think Duran Duran are my absolute peak of that sort of 80s shiny pop music. I think when you get into the songs, I think they are actually genuinely decently written and quite complex songs at times. <laughs> I'm not going to put the stamp on everything they ever made. But they are kind of very tacky 80s pop, and I love it. I love every second of it. They're a great, like, best-of band. Yes. As soon as you put the hits on, you're just like, oh, this is 
absolute tune after tune. And they had plenty as well, at least 10. For best of album. Yeah, what more no, do you need? <laughs> no filler. So I could have picked something like Rio, but I actually thought it's probably too good a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would have let you get away with Rio, I'll be honest. Cool. Um, I thought of this straight away and banged it as number one and then worked backwards with the list. And we mentioned it earlier, so I pretended to forget the name, but it's uh, Toxic by Britney Spears. I see. I'm sorry. I genuinely think that song is great. Like, there is no guilt there at all. Like, when that comes up on my uh, Beast playlist, I'm a happy boy. It's obviously got loads of, like, Eastern Eastern influences to it. It's got that, like, Bangra, like, violin sample at the start, which I think is great. But then it's got, like, surf guitar in the chorus. Uh, it just seems to pick from, like, 10 different elements to it. There is tons of dissonance. I don't think the vocal line actually fits with the chords at almost any point, and yet somehow seems to work. It's got like odd vocal production on it. Like it sort of like sways about between like quite, I'm sure it's all auto-tuned, but like subtle auto-tuned to like really quite odd sounding vocals with like really, really heavily processed things on them. There's that like synth bass throughout it, which never stays still. I think it's top. I also think it's a great tune. None of the other songs I'm bothering to try and defend musically, but actually I genuinely think that's a well-written pop tune. I think, there is yeah, I think that's a really tons, good shout. Tons of interest in it. Yeah, I'm into that. As well as being catchy. So, yeah. Bring yeah, I, I, I like it. I did, I did consider it, but I just wrote it off on the fact that I thought it was a bit too good. But uh, as, because it was Britney, I thought it was fine, even though it, I think it, it it's a genuinely fine. good song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair play. I mean, in fairness, my number one kind of encompasses a, a full kind of genre, I suppose. And I, I definitely think it's really good as well. But you'll understand why I say it's slightly guilty. So the, the specific example I've gone for is uh, the song Bell from Beauty and the Beast. I'm going for the latest version, which Disney is uh, sung by Emma Watson and uh, Luke Evans, the magnificent Luke Evans as uh, Gaston. Have <laughs> um, <laughs> are you too familiar with this at all? <laughs> I have, I've, yeah. No, I, I've not seen it. Like, again, I, I could have picked loads. I picked that one just because, I don't know, I just find it well entertaining and... I actually think musically it's really good. Loads of cool melodies and stuff. Obviously, it's slightly humorous. But yeah, I don't know. I d this thing seemed to happen because obviously me and Sophie have completely different musical tastes. So she will occasionally obviously just say, you know, put whatever you want on. Sometimes I have to listen to chart music. And then eventually there's this crossover where it's just like, oh, we'll just put like Disney music on. And it's great. <laughs> like, I really like it. It's just like really good, really good melodies, really good arrangements. Disney, even at their like cheesiest, it's always really like accomplished songwriting. It's always really tidy. And yeah, I think uh, me and Catherine have that convergence point, but it's it's all on Bond theme tunes. Just crack on the Bond theme tunes on a long car journey. Work your I mean, way through. That, that that happens as well. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, 
there, there's skip, zero skip guilt Madonna. on the band. Yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, good choice. Yeah, great choice. My number one is the saccharine sweet end of my taste. And it's Geek in the Pink by Jason Mraz. Considered a Mraz as well, but I thought you put one in, so I didn't bother. There it is. I've got to say, like, particularly the album Mr. A to Z, I love it. I think it's ace from top to bottom. It's really, really cheesy, really overproduced. Singer-songwriter. It's got, like, little hip-hop elements i think like a lot it's of got, his, uh, yeah. a lot of his like verses are kind of like really fast like almost spoken lyrics it just yeah uh, just Definitely zooms through verses and then has like a super catchy pop chorus at the end of it absolutely i mean Dead particularly geek, geek in the pink has some uh has some scratching in it remember when scratching was cool all the kids <laughs> were doing it but that album's got a song that's kind of got an opera middle eight it's a mad album, but it is really, really kind of cheesy, super pop, and I get a lot out of it. Sweet. I don't think I've heard any of your five songs, Will. Nice. Just start making a playlist of the uh, the guilty pleasures. Just check out some Miraz. Definitely. Yeah, just listen to all of Mr. A to Z. Okay, I will. You may thank me or curse my very name. <laughs> Who's to say? Do anyone have any honourables? Yeah, I've got a few. I wanted to put in a shit indie track, and I was going to put in Travis' track. I picked Writing to Reach You, but actually I like quite a lot of Travis. Um, yeah, I considered Travis and had the exact same thought I thought, I thought it was too good. Like, I genuinely listened to yeah. Travis. Like, that album is really good. It's got loads of yeah. good stuff on it. You mentioned Madonna. I really like Frozen. Frozen's a great song. Anything else? Oh, yeah, and there's loads of, like, I mean, you put Smash Mouth in. I consider sort of similar things. I actually, I sort of wanted to put Teenage Dirtbag in, my Wheatus, mm-hmm. which I'd argue is shitter than Smash yeah, Mouth. Yeah, no, that, that is just shit, that one. It, it is shit, like, I, like, undeniably. And yet, like I say, I was YouTube flicking, and when it came on, I uh, sang along with the whole song. <laughs> 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 no consideration about skipping it. Quite happy to listen to it. Knew all the words. Nice. I wanted I wanted to have an indie track as well. The one I was kind of deciding on was Cheese and Fashion by Suede. Because I feel like it's completely un it's just clearly just going for a hit single. Super repetitive, terrible lyrics. But it's a banger. I was like, <laughs> I was loving it. I was like, this is no way going. This is brilliant. Uh, what else was there? Oh, the only, I dropped it out for Lennon Lehmoy at the last minute. So it felt a bit too serious, which was uh, George Michael, uh, December song, which is a song I'm pretty sure I'm the only person in the world who likes because <laughs> it's just funny because he had like obviously a fair few big Christmas songs. And this is also a Christmas song, and I think it was one of his final tunes that he released. And everyone, I play it to people sometimes, particularly at Christmas. I'm like, oh, let's play this one. Everyone's just like, oh, that's, that's rubbish. I didn't have a lot to add. Add um, Danger High Voltage or uh, Gay Bar by Electric Six. 
in a similar vein to some of yours, um, I had like Jade Bird had a song called Uh Huh, which I hate saying, um, but there was like an acoustic version of it that was pretty cool. I had um, Uptown Girl by Billy Joel because like Too in good. and of its that's it like in and of itself it's a really super saccharine song famously covered by Westlife but Billy Joel's just the man and uh yeah it's too good but yeah nothing nothing that hadn't already been said really okay so next week will be my picks and uh they're going to be the film is going to be Dolomite is my name mm-hmm. I wanted to go with something a little bit different with the album um so i've picked hey Clockface, which is elvis costello's latest album from 2020 and uh top five list i want you to give me your top five anthropomorphic films so to clarify that could be animals that can talk or animals that are like people christ alive (laughs) right well that's all from us at Screen and Needle. Thanks for joining us and join us next week for another cheeky pint. Bye-bye.